Heavenly Father, God, we're reminded that you are great, you are big, and you are strong. God, you're king and you're overall. Nothing catches you by surprise. You know everything. You are all-knowing. You're all-wise. But God, you're not only just strong and powerful and wise, you're gracious, merciful, you're patient, you're kind. And God, you've shown all of us unbelievable mercy. So God, I pray as we continue to worship you by looking at your word. God, I'm, I'm praying that we would be in awe of your mercy and your power and your grace. God, I'm praying that we'd be a people that would long to hear from you and that you would work on our hearts so that we would clearly hear what you would say to us through your word today. God, God I'm asking that you would help me to teach. I, I don't want to teach in my own power. I, I want to teach empowered by your spirit in a way that only your word and your spirit can do. I don't want to do this on my own. So God, I pray you would ask that you would help me to teach clearly. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, y'all may be seated. Um, we're, uh, we're continuing our series on Do Justice, Love Mercy. Um, it's been a fun couple weeks, maybe five weeks or however long we've been in this, where we've looked at some really difficult things the last several weeks. As, we, as we've been um, having these conversations, it's, it's been uncomfortable. I don't know, has it been uncomfortable for y'all or is that just me? Yeah, okay, good. Uh, that means it's uncomfortable. It's, it's been uncomfortable because we, we've been talking about just conversation that's hard. And, and here's what we did. We framed the entire conversation. I just want to remind us because we're getting close to the end, so this will be my next to last review of this series. We framed the entire conversation by rem reminding ourselves in the book of Psalms that God is king in overall, and that gives us hope. It, it, gives us, it makes us worship when things feel out of control, and it gives us hope because his gospel is stronger than, our bro than the brokenness of our hearts and the brokenness of those around us. It's, it's stronger. So we have, we have worship of God and confidence that he can, he can handle this. Then we then began to look at how God defines justice, that it's not simply a matter of right and wrong and punishment and, and things like that. It was, uh, it was the fair and equitable execution of good laws that are equal for everyone, in a way that helped the vulnerable and uh, maintained whole relationships in the community. In other words, this, like, hey, justice is not just about executing law. It's about helping those who are vulnerable, weak, and oppressed and making sure that our relationships are good with one another. Because when you don't have justice, when, it's, when things are acting unjust, it breaks relationships. That was part of God's justice. And then we looked at the fact that it should not surprise us that there's unjust systems because as humans, we're all broken. And broken people cannot make a perfect system. They make broken systems. And so it should not surprise us when we see oppression and and wrong happening in our justice system around us. The Bible lays that out, plenty of examples of that in the Bible. And then we began to look at the difficult question about race and issues like that and, and how should we be responding. And the first step of response for us was to listen well, to try to understand with empathy. All right, so it's not listening, trying to build your argument and saying, here's all the reasons it's why you're wrong. It's listening with empathy. I, I want to understand what you're saying, and I want to understand what you're feeling right now. I, that was the goal of it. And then the next conversation for us was not just how do you listen, but the question was uh, for us, not uh, are we racist. The question was, are we loving? Do you love your neighbor? 
When we look at the sin of favoritism, and the question that brought up for us is, favoritism is not loving, and favoritism is not as bad as racism, if I'm allowed to measure those things out in a certain way. And so that's where we've been in the conversation so far. And then last week, we wrapped up that difficult part with a time where we personally repented. We repented corporately as a church, and we lamented the things that have happened in our country. We, we grieve the sin and the tragedy and, and the awful injustices that have happened. We, we grieved and lamented those things. And I got to be honest, that felt like a really significant moment for me. Uh, it, it felt like a turning point for me that, that was a big deal. Now, one of the parts of the conversation we have not had yet that we have to have to make this a well-rounded conversation, we have to come to the other side of this combo and not just ask about how are we supposed to view these these things about injustice and racism and inequality. How should we be be viewing these things biblically? And we came over to the other side now, and today that's what we're looking at. Today we're looking looking at the question, how are we supposed to respond to police officers and government authority? Now, um, I have a feeling most of us are probably in a similar page here, but, but I want to lay groundwork in what the Bible says about this. And as I get there, um, I, I want to talk about the response that's happening right now. Our, our, response, our culture has responded to police brutality and injustice in, in, in a pretty interesting way. And the response is not new, right? What we've seen in the last couple months since George Floyd has been... Um, um, I don't know why my brain just froze on me. Um, what we've seen is people doing walks and protests. We've seen some of those protests lead to riots, and those things have turned to rioting and looting, and, and it, it's been difficult to watch. It, it's been difficult. It's also been followed with these, these plans to disband the police, abolish the police, defund the police, and, and I want to talk through what that looks like in the Word. And let, let me review a little history with you. I did a quick historical study. I just wanted to see uh, the history of race riots in the U.S., right? Um, And I'm not going to give you every riot that's happened in the U.S., but let me just give you a a little rundown of just some of the biggies. 1965, August 1965 in Los Angeles, the Watts riots. I don't know how many of you, I don't remember that. I wasn't born yet. Anybody here remember that, the Watts riots? Okay, we're hitting, uh, perfect. That was not to figure out your age, by the way. If you raised your hand, that was not a trick question. Uh, Two years later, 1967, the long, hot summer of 1967, there were 159 race riots in the U.S. 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, and there were riots in over 100 cities in what many consider to be the most turbulent time of civil unrest in the U.S. since the Civil War. 1980, Arthur McDuffie, and the Miami riots. The L.A. riots in 1992 over the beating of Rodney King. Some of you are now beginning to say, okay, now I remember. Now some of you are hitting teenage years um, like me. Ferguson in 2014 and the shooting of Michael Brown. Baltimore, 2015. Freddie Gray. And this year we've seen the George Floyd protests and riots. Now, now listen, why would I walk through all, and I, I skipped tons of them. There were tons of them as I did the research, more than I had time clearly to go over. My, my point in showing you this is that this is not a new issue in our country. 
This has been an outcry for a while. And so as you hear that, the thing I don't want you to do is I don't want you to ignore what's being said. What I want you to do is understand this. Part of the reason why you hear the frustration and anger and and emotional outrage is because this is not like the first time this is being brought up in the United States of America. For some people, this feels like this has been at least an 80-year conversation. And so there's a lot of emotion that's happening, a lot of anger and frustration. And honestly, a lot of people want to decide to give up. Why even bother? That, that's part of the emotion of what is happening in parts of our country today. And now listen, as I'm going to get into what I'm getting into today, I want you to hear this. Do not use the, the sermon that is today to ignore the sermons that were the five weeks previous to this. Do not ignore empathy and love and repentance and God's version of justice. But we also have to come to the other side and say, okay, so how are we supposed to view all government authority, just and unjust, fair and unfair? As, as we hear this cry that's been happening for a while, that there's injustice, the question I have this morning is what does the Bible say about that? How are we supposed to respond to government authority even when government authority messes up? That's the question for today. So here's the passage we're going to, Romans chapter 13. So if you'd open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. If you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen. Um, but I, always, I want to encourage you to have your Bibles. That way you can see that I didn't just make up words on the screen. It's what the Bible actually says on there. And as you're turning to Romans 13, let me give you a little bit of a background. And I want you to think through the, the person of the Apostle Paul for a moment. I mean, think about Paul who's writing the book of Romans. He's writing it to Christians in Rome, which is basically the, the capital of the world at that point because the Romans were ruling most of the known world. And, and he's writing to these Christians. And here's what Paul and Christians have been going through. Almost every town that Paul goes to, what happens? He gets arrested. He gets beat. He gets, there's a riot, someone tries to kill him, he gets run out of town, right? That was a good answer, whoever said that. I can't see your mouth moving because of masks, so I'll just trust that many of you are answering that question. No matter where Paul goes, he runs into a problem, doesn't he? He runs into a problem with who? The religious and the governing authorities. Almost without exception, the religious get upset at Paul and then they leverage the local authorities to try to get Paul killed or run out of town. And once they run him out of town, you see in places like in the book of Acts in Thessalonica, if they can't get to Paul, they go after the leaders in the church that are still there and say, we're going to threaten you, we're going to take your house, we're going to kill you if you keep pushing this Christian thing in our city. I mean, in every single place that Paul went, tons of oppression to the point that eventually what happens for the Christian church is the Christian church becomes the target of the government in the first several hundred years of her existence. It, the, the Christians, the followers of Jesus, were the prey for government authorities. And what is shocking is the way that Paul talks about how we're supposed to rep respond to authority. To a guy that experiences time after time after time injustice, what would you expect someone like that to say about government authorities. They're the devil, right? We need to re rebel against them. We need to revolt. We need to do everything to disobey them. We hate these people. We need to come up in arms, especially as Christians were beginning to outnumber the people in their cities. 
But that's not at all what Paul says to do. Look at what he says in Romans chapter 13. He says this. Listen, remember, this is being written by a guy who's been unjustly imprisoned and beaten and tried to be killed time and time and time again. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That that word subject can also be understood as submissive to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Didn't want to hear that. Did not want to hear the tax thing. That's a bummer. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Listen, that's, that's an intense statement when Nero is emperor and Paul's probably going to be beheaded by him in a little while. Right? Like, do you realize he's talking about Nero? <laughs> he's saying, you pay the man his taxes, you show him respect, you show him honor. And let me remind you of this with the emperors of the day. They all consider themselves deity, that they were God. And one of their main beefs with Christians, they wanted those Christians to worship them and Jesus, to offer incense as worship to this king, to this emperor. And Paul is saying to pay respect, to submit to these type of arrogant, egomaniac person that thinks they're God in the flesh on earth, who's unjustly killing Christians and imprisoning them. And Paul says, let everyone be subject to to the governing authorities. That is shocking. And it grates against the very nature of who most of us are, right? When you think about experiencing un, uh, injustice from a governing authority on your behalf, what do you want to do? You want to throw down, right? Like it's game time. Like, that's why I have the right to bear arms, right? I'm, I'm about you. You want to come and do injustice against me as a police or a governor or a mayor? Good luck, because I will fight you tooth and nail every bit of the way. Not even if you just don't want to do injustice. What if you just don't do something I like? The, I, the one that's probably not harder for us, it's probably not the taxes. It's probably the pay respect or honor. And he doesn't say pay respect or honor based on their actions. It's based on their position. That's really difficult. Just 
It's, it's a shocking stance by the Apostle Paul. And so let, let me just walk through the reasons why he would say something like that to us. In the face of unjust authority, the bottom line thing that Paul wants us to hear is this. We submit because we believe that God is in control. Let me repeat that. We submit to authority because we believe that God is in control over everything. Look again at verse 1. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. You see what he's saying there? Here's why we submit to every governing authority. Because God is in control of everything. And there is no one that gets to be in authority unless God lets them get there. And that may confuse the mess out of you. Like, you're saying, he lets all the, like, Hitler got into position because God allowed that? You, you, you may be thinking of all the, you may go through all the presidents in the last 10 years, 20 years, maybe 80. I don't know how, how good your history is. You may be thinking, that dude and that dude and that dude became president and God let that happen? That person became congressman or congresswoman. That person became governor or mayor, mayor. That person became a police officer or police chief. God let that person in the role? It says everyone that gets into that position gets there because God allowed it to happen. That does not mean that he approves of everything that they do. What it means is that for us as followers of Jesus, we believe that God is ultimately in control. And when leaders act crazy or insane or unjust, what happens in us? Our faith that God knows what he's doing gets challenged. And then we begin to try to take it into our own hands. Listen, let, let me give you the best example I can give of the fact that God is so strong and big. Not that he wills evil, but that it even works towards his plan. It's not that he wills evil, but it works to his plan. How much injustice and government uh, crime had to happen for the crucifixion of Jesus to happen? L listen, the, the betrayal the trial, the crucifixion and murder of Jesus Christ involved every layer of government. And God was not caught off guard by that. You know what he did through that? He offered every single one of us grace and mercy and the possibility of salvation. I, I want to remind you, when government acts out of control, when they act unjustly, we need to remind ourselves that God is over everything. And he's not caught by surprise by it. He's not saying, oh, no, what happened? He's saying, I got this. And we should have confidence that he's bigger than we are and wiser than we are, and he's got this. But there's a second core belief that I think gets exposed. Look, look at verse 2. This one really kind of rubs you, right? Uh, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed if you look down there, he's also going to say that if you re re resist him, you're going to be under the wrath of God, right? Do you all see that there? And I, I don't know why I can't find it. Uh, verse 4, um, 
But if you do wrong, don't be afraid of storm, for he's a servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath. That's not verse 4. I, I don't know. It's somewhere in there. I'll, I'll get to it here in a moment. But, but listen, it says that you, you rebel against God. It's not just that we believe that God is in control of everything. One of the things that happens that God is saying is, so that means when you rebel and disobey authority that God has placed, that means you're rebelling ultimately not just against that authority, but against God. When you disobey this authority, ultimately there's a possibility that you're disobeying God. When you disrespect this authority, ultimately it's a possibility that you're disrespecting God. When you don't show honor to this authority, there's a possibility that you're not showing honor to God. Listen, church, I, I gotta be honest. This is really difficult to hear. If I walked through the way, for the last 15 years, the way the American church has talked about our president, I would bet we would see a stark contrast in how we've talked about the presidents we like and the presidents we don't like. And the question is, have we been demonstrating that we trust that God's in control even when these men aren't? And have we been demonstrating what it looks like to be submissive to God and show that position respect even though we may disagree with the things they've done? Listen, we need to hear this. It does not matter who gets elected this fall. Do you know what we are supposed to do? Trust God and show respect. Church, we need to hear that. If it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden, we may disagree with both of those men, but we must show honor and respect to that position because it's showing honor and respect to God. We must demonstrate that we trust that God knows what he's doing and that he's got this. Even if we don't like who got elected, even if we didn't vote for the person who gets elected, we need to hear this. We must trust God and show that position respect in a way that we're showing God respect. Does that make sense? Now, this isn't easy, but I'm going to keep going because there's more in this passage I think we need to hear. Because we're talking about what about unjust authority. Before I get there, I need to show you something in verse 3. Here's the ultimate thing of what what authority is supposed to look like. In verses 3 and 4, Paul paints out what authority should look like. The ideal is this. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. In other words, when rulers are rightly representing God, they're not supposed to make people doing good things fear. If you're doing right and the authority is doing right, it should not cause fear in you when a police officer walks up. If you are out mowing your grass and a police officer walks up, it should not strike fear in your heart if the authority is doing right and if you're doing right, right? It shouldn't do that. Here's what it should do. And he says this, would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good. You'll receive his approval. Like, so for example, if for some reason you're out at night and you're trying to, I don't know, steal Cokes out of a Coke machine. That's the best illustration I got in my head. And a police officer walks up. And just for the record, I don't know what you're doing stealing Cokes out of a Coke machine. I don't know what's wrong with you. But if you're doing that, all of you are old enough to know better. All right? Um, That's my dad lecture. Um, What are you doing stealing Cokes? And a police officer shows up, and you've got the crowbar or whatever little stunt you're trying to pull, trying to pry open the Coke machine. Uh, You tell me what happens in your heart the moment you see that cop guard. Whoop, whoop, pull up. Right? 
fear, adrenaline. Uh, not that I would know this from, I've never done that with the Coke machine, by the way. Uh, but, but you know that when you're speeding and the lights pop on in the back of, in the rear view mirror, what happens in you? You're like, oh, man. And it's that adrenaline rush that I'm about to get a ticket and I deserve it. And what excuse can I come up with to tell the police officer? Can I cry? Can I say my, my wife is sick? Like, I think I saw, well, anyways, I'm not going to get into things I saw on Facebook. Um, no, I am. Uh, I saw this one thing on social media where this woman played a joke on her husband and said, I'm coming to the house right now. I got pulled over for speeding, and I told him I was rushing home because you were injured. So I need you to lay outside in the front yard and act like you're injured. He's right behind me. So she pulls up, (laughs) takes a picture of her husband. He's laying on the front steps like this, like faking the whole thing so that his wife won't get a ticket. She lied. It was a practical joke. She just wanted to see what he was willing to do. But but, but the point of that is when we're doing wrong and, and authorities doing right, it should cause fear in us. And if authority is doing right and we're doing right, it should not cause fear in us. That's how it's supposed to work. And you're like, well, that's, that's not rocket science, but that's the way it's supposed to be. And if you're in an unjust society at times, you can be doing right and the authority shows up and immediately you will feel fear. So if you've ever traveled to another country and you've had to go through customs where you know that you're going to probably have to bribe your way out because you're an American just to get your luggage out. Like that moment at customs is this like nerve wracking. Will he let me through with the supplies for the orphanage or not? It's not supposed to be that way. That's unjust. And that's backwards from what God planned. But but look at what it says here. It says this, verse four, for he, that's the, the authority, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. And why? For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he's a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Like, listen, here's the thing that it's telling you. Like, when, when, when you have a problem with authority, God wants that authority in place. But he's given that authority a sword, a weapon, a means of execution and enforcement. That is God's plan for authority. And, and here's the concern. Here's how we respond sometimes. The way we respond is, I don't like authority, so I want to get rid of authority. No, that's not God's plan. His plan is for there to be authority. He sets it up. We cannot respond to injustice by saying we want it gone. We also cannot respond by saying we want to take the sword away from the authority. You don't disarm the authority and say, we don't want you to have any weapons of enforcement. No, that's useless. That's not God's plan. His plan is, that they would actually have a sword for enforcement. That's God's plan. That's not man's plan. That is God's plan. So we expect the governing authority to make evildoers fear and good people who are doing good feel at peace. We expect the authority to have a sword and to execute it. We expect the authority to do what's right. We expect them to use that sword appropriately in the appropriate way. That's the expectation that God lays out for what authority should look like. That's the plan. And, and what's happening right now that I believe is happening is uh, our culture already has a God authority issue, and now we will take it out on the authority that he has established. Is the authority that's set up perfect? No. 
Does it need reform? Yes. We've already established that everything needs reform. Every position has people who are corrupt and wicked that need to go. Every procedure probably needs to be evaluated. Great, that's fine. We need good accountability. Yes, we believe in all of that stuff. But what's not acceptable is to come up with an idea that says, get rid of the authority, disarm the authority, kind of make them incapable of doing the thing that God has called them to do. That is not God's plan. And we cannot go along with the plan that looks like that. And, and here's what else. Let me show you some of the places that Paul talks about this. He actually says that he wants this taught in the church. Look at Titus chapter 3. I want you to see this. Paul is writing to Titus. He's saying, Titus, I need to set this church up. Um, he's left them on the island of Crete. And he said, Titus, you planted it. I need you to get it all established. Here's what you need to do. Get, up these, get these leaders set up and teach this. And look at what he says needs to be taught in chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them. Remember, these are people who are going to be open to injustice against the government. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. He says, Titus, here's what I want you to teach the church. You teach them. You teach the adults. You teach the kids. You teach all of them to be submissive to authority, to be courteous, to not be fighters and, and speaking evil of one of people. You're going to be gentle and you're so perfect courtesy. Think about that. Listen, you need to hear this. We should be teaching our kids how to interact with authority in a submissive and respectful way. That, that's his plan for the church. Now, I, I don't think most of us have a problem with that, right? I'm looking at the room. I don't think most of you are sitting here saying, that is ridiculous. We, like, I don't think anyone here would say that's a problem. But there's more to this conversation than just simply you should submit to authority because it's from God. Here's the rest of this conversation. What about when authority is unjust? Like, are, are we, do we have to agree with everything and quietly go along with everything? I'm going to read some more verses to you. First Peter chapter 2, which is written not by Paul, but by Peter. And it's written to a, a church that is being persecuted. It's written to the persecuted church, the suffering church. And in First Peter chapter 2, verse 13, this is before he even talks about relationships in the family. Paul talks about this. Be subject for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise. You see it again? Like, listen, he's saying to the suffering church, you should do this. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Listen, I don't know how else to describe some of the things. I'm, I'm, man, I need, to be, I need to watch my words very carefully here. But listen, we are free to not like what's happening in our country. But that freedom does not give us the right to go and do unlawful, rebellious, stubborn activities. It's not okay. And as Christians, we should love the fact that people protest. We should love the fact that they're free to go stand on the corner and say whatever they want and be peaceful and as vocal as they need to be. But when it crosses that line of violence and destruction, we should be upset about it. 
and we should not be a part of that. Uh, and for some people, that's deeply offensive. But I'm telling you, right now, I have no other way to look at this. I don't know how else to look at what the Bible says to a suffering, persecuted people. But there's more, because I want to show you a couple places, just in case you're getting the wrong idea. We're going to look at four passages in Acts, and I want you to see how Paul actually and the apostles actually interacted with bad authority. Okay, because can we agree that there is such a thing as bad authority? People who misrepresent God, don't fulfill his purpose, that there is unjust practices. I mean, most of the riots that I read to you were a result of actually wrong practices. I mean, when I read about the 1980 riots in Miami, it was appalling. And we should be upset about injustice. But I want you to see how Paul and the apostles dealt with it. Acts chapter 4, let me remind you what's happening here. Uh, Peter and them, they've been arrested because they're sharing the gospel and the Sanhedrin is pretty upset about this. It's very early in the church. And they call him in and say, you need to stop talking about Jesus. But listen, now remember, here's the deal. Remember that idea where you said, you submit to authority because God's put them there. But what happens when authority asks you to disobey God, who's a higher authority than them? Look at how they respond. Chapter 4, verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them. Now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see how gentle it is, how bold it is and firm, and how humble it is. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. You got to decide if that's right or wrong. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. See what he just said? Listen, he just said, listen, there's a higher authority above you. It's God. And listen, you've got to decide how you're going to respond to that, but I have to obey God. It was not, why don't you come and make me not do it? It wasn't, who do you think you are? He didn't do that. I want you to see the gentle, humble, submissive, but still bold approach that says, listen, I... I understand what you're saying, but I believe there's an authority above you, and it's God. That's exactly how Jesus responded to Pilate. You would not have authority unless God gave it to you. Uh, there's an authority above you, and you've got to decide what you're going to do, but, but I have to obey him. Let me show you another spot. Now, listen, Paul gets a little chippier than Peter and John. Acts chapter 16, let me remind you this story. Paul has started a church. Um, he cast out a demon out of a demon-possessed girl, lost a whole lot of money for her bosses. Mob happens. They grab him. They drag him in front of the court. Don't even get a trial. They get beat, thrown into prison, in the deepest part of the prison they can get. Um, and basically, they lead all the people in prison to Jesus. It's a crazy, awesome story. Look at verse 35 of Acts chapter 16. It says this. But when it was day, so Paul and Silas have had the snot beat out of them. Their backs are bloody and bruised. They've been hanging upside down in these stocks, but they've seen God work in the midst of it. So how should they respond to the injustice that already happened to them? Look at verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrate sent to the police and said, let these men go. Now just get them out of there. We're done with them. We taught them a lesson. Just open up the door, let them out. So verse 36 
And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you out. Therefore, come on, let's go and go in peace. Listen, I got saved. Listen, this guy got saved last night. All these guys got saved. Now they're letting you go. This is the work of God. You endured the beating. Let's go out in peace. Look at what what Paul does. I love it, dude. He is, uh, it's so good. Verse 37, but Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. That wasn't legal what happened yesterday. I didn't get a trial. They beat me in front of everybody and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. Now listen, this may be confusing you, but here's what I want you to see. What Paul and Silas did is in the moment of the mob, there was no chance to speak up. It's almost like the goal was just survive. You don't see Paul throwing elbows as they were beating him and dragging him there. He goes with them. The moment was to survive the mob, but after the dust had settled, he was not going to be quiet about the injustice. He was going to make it known to the people that they had done wrong. He was not going to quietly go as, okay, listen, no, I'm going to sit right here because here's what they did. They broke the law by not giving me a trial. I'm a Roman citizen. They beat me in public. I'm a Roman citizen. They threw me in jail. I'm a Roman citizen without a trial. I'm not just going to go away quietly. They need to come here and face the music. It was a demand for a recognition of the injustice. So apparently there's still room for us as followers of Jesus. When the authority acts inappropriately, we Endure to the moment we can actually speak our voice and say, that was not okay. So when you see be submissive to the authorities, do not think you just have to lie down and take all of it. There is a moment to speak up. That doesn't mean that when a police officer comes, you don't like what's happening. It doesn't mean you throw down with him or you run from him. Do not do that. That's not what Paul and them did. They endured the injustice and waited for the moment later to speak up about the injustice. So it's not this um, weak endurance of suffering. It's bold and it's strong, but it's still humble and submissive. Do you see that there? It may confuse you. I'm just, I want to make sure you don't misunderstand what this looks like. Let me show you two other places. Acts chapter 22. So Paul's in Jerusalem. He's in the temple and he went to go worship and some people make a false accusation causes a whole mob. They're trying to kill Paul right then and there. Romans come out. They grab Paul because they don't want mob rule. Um, and then Paul speaks to them, and then they all get upset. And then here's what happens. Uh, verse 23 of Acts chapter 22. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, that's what happened when Paul preaches, by the way. People just get angry. They're throwing, this is ridiculous. Get rid of this guy. We don't want him on the earth. Uh, verse 24, the tribune, that's the Roman officer, ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging. Flogging, that's what they did to Jesus. Think cat of nine tails. Think that. He goes, you know what? Take Paul in. Find out what's going on by beating the living snot out of him. Which, wow, okay. Way to go, justice. Uh, to, he wanted to find out why they were shouting against him like this. In verse 25, so Paul doesn't say a word. Nothing right there. He lets them take him in there. Verse 25. But when they'd stretched him out for the whips, he still hasn't said a word. Here's when Paul speaks up. 
They've chained him. They've stretched him out. They're getting to, ready to whip him. And, and look at how he responds. He says this, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? He knows his rights. And he says, listen, hey, I, I know you're about to beat me. I, I just need to ask you a question. Is, it, is this legal what you're doing? As a, I'm a Roman citizen. You're about to beat me. Is this legal? So then the centurion heard this, and he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? This man's a Roman citizen. Like, listen, you're about to get in. This is big time trouble for all of us. Verse 27, so the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. But Paul said, but I'm a citizen by birth. And immediately it's panic for everyone in the room. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Like, listen, so here's Paul. Paul, he's enduring the injustice of getting bound. He lets, them, he lets the dust settle. He's about to give up. He says, hold on, stop, time out. I need to make sure you know this. I'm a Roman citizen. Is this legal? And it's immediate terror because they know they've, they've broken several laws getting to that point. So he's not just passively taking it. He speaks up at the right moment. He's not doing it in anger, flailing and wailing. He seems to be humbly trusting God, but boldly speaking about his rights. Last one that I want to show you. Chapter 23, he gets to go stand before the Sanhedrin. And uh, this is the boldest you see Paul get. And looking intently at the council, here's what Paul said. He's, there, he's on trial and he says, Brothers, I lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. So he's, he's defending himself. Verse 2, and the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. So Paul's in the middle of his, imagine this in court, like Paul's in the middle of his defense. He's saying, listen, guys, I have, I've lived my entire life with trying to have a clean conscience before God. And the, the judge goes, smack him in the mouth and just whack, smack in the mouth. Look at, <laughs> totally not fair, totally not okay. I want you to see how Paul responds. Verse 3. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you ordered me to be struck? Like, listen, it's very aggressive. He said, whoa, whoa, you, you're going to sit in judgment over me and break the law in this very trial? What do you, you think God's not going to judge you for that? And then look at what happens. Those who stood by, this is verse 4, would you revile God's high priest? They said, bro, it was the high priest that commanded this. Look at, his, look, at the, look at how it, boom, settles right down. Verse 5, Paul said, I, I did not know, brothers, that, that he was the high priest, for it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Listen, he, he, here's what I want you to see in all of this, that when it comes to us as followers of Jesus, we interact with authority like God put them there like God is in charge, like God is ultimate. And we interact with them, we submit to them as if we're submitting to God. But when they step out of line, sometimes we are to endure the injustice and turn the other cheek to let the dust settle. And then afterwards we come around and say, that wasn't okay and we're gonna make sure you're held accountable for it in a balanced way that's submissive and humble and still showing respect to the position. That's God's view of that. So, so you're probably sitting here asking, so what's the point? I mean, you, you got in all this. Here's the points that I, I want you to, to hear today. Listen, we are to submit to higher authority. 
So for example, when our city says things to us like, hey, we want you to meet in a certain way. Like we want you to have masks or spaced out. We're gonna submit in that way as long as they don't call us to disobey God. And if they do call us to disobey God, where they actually command you cannot meet, we won't let you. We will find every way to meet in a way that will meet their criteria. If that's outside or wherever, we'll, if we do 10 services, fine. But if they say no, under no exceptions, do we let you meet? Listen, here's what we've got to do. We humbly say, I, that's not okay. And we respect your position, but we have to respect an authority higher than you. So we're not going to obey. With hum, not with brashness and anger, but with bold, strong humility. That means when you're at work and your boss asks you to do something that you don't like, you, you interact with your boss in the same way as if God put that boss over you and as if you're submitting to God. And if they ask you to do something that makes you disobey God, you humbly and gently say no. That means students in school, when your teacher gives you a homework assignment you don't like, you interact with that teacher and that authority in a way that demonstrates that you believe that God put them there over you with humbleness and respect. And if they step out of line and, and are unfair in it, then at some point you'll endure it, but then you'll go to the appropriate channels to object. But you don't get to bow up on authority. When a police officer pulls you over, whether you are speeding or not, you respond as if God put that police officer there. And if they step out of line, you get through the experience alive and then deal with it later because they do not bear the sword in vain. The other thing is this. We need to be knowledgeable and vocal about our rights in the law. You need to know what your rights are. Um, we, we, we should know that stuff. The other thing is we should be teaching our kids submission to authority. We should be teaching one another submission to authority. We should challenge one another when we find ourselves bow up against something we don't like is this about me submitting to the authority or have they actually crossed the line and are causing me to disobey God? We should challenge one another to be humbly submissive because we believe that God is in control and, we try, and we're trying to submit to him. We should also pray for our leaders, even the ones you didn't vote for. Um, in, in other words, this December... We will be praying for either Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whatever else God would do. We, we need to, whether your candidate gets in or not. And then I want to ask you a couple questions. Listen, I think it's easy for us to look at rioters and looters and say, how ridiculous. But I want to remind us of all this. That same heart attitude is in all of us. That is how we have responded to God and his rule and his law. That's exactly why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He, he sent him for us, not because we were just a little broken, because we were completely broken and we were rebels against the rule of God. And Jesus came to show us mercy and to offer us a restored relationship with God. So before you... Get really critical of the rioters. Make sure you look at your heart first and see your need for a savior to forgive you and me of rebellion against King Jesus. 
Listen, my other question is, are you submissive to God? Again, and not just did you place your trust in Jesus to save you, but is Jesus allowed to actually tell you what to do? Is he t- allowed to tell you how to raise your family, how to spend your money? Is he allowed to tell you about sex and marriage and relationships and your time? Is he allowed to be in charge of you? Or do you only take, or do you only listen to that when he tells you what you want to hear? Are we a people that are submitted to God? Listen, church, I want us to be a people that when we come to the word, we say, Jesus, you get to be in charge. We do what you say about everything from what we eat to what we drink, to who we date, to how we live our lives and how we spend our money. You are our king and we live in submission to you on everything. That's who we should be. And it's really easy from the clean inside of the church where everything looks polished on the outside to be very critical of those who would outwardly rebel against the ruling authorities and neglect our own rebellion against King Jesus in the areas that we disobey him. In the end, we all have a bent towards rebellion that needs a savior, including me. Pastors don't get off the hook for that. So can I ask you, are you submissive to King Jesus? Have you placed your trust in Jesus as the bridge to repair the relationship between you and God and repented of your rebellion and said, I I need Jesus to save me. If you've never done that, I want to let you know, I want to invite you at the end of the service to come and talk to one of our pastors, but I want you all to hear very clearly. We should be people who submit to authority because of who Jesus is, and we submit, submit to Jesus in everything, in everything. Are you submitted to authority, and are you submitted to Jesus? That's the question for today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to give you a moment just to think through what God might have said to you today through his word. And if you feel like he actually pointed something out, I want you actually to either write it down or get it concrete in your head. What did God say to you today? Did he call you to repent of anything? If he did, I just want you to repent and ask him to forgive you. Did he challenge you to trust him more, even when authority over you seems out of control? Listen, if he didn't call you to repent of anything or he called you to do something, here's my other question. Maybe the thing that stood out to you is you're kind of standing in awe of the fact that God is king. Can can you worship him for being so big and so in control that he's even in charge? Injustice doesn't thwart his plans. Can, Can you worship him for the way Jesus submitted to the Father and endured the cross? Can you worship him for the way he interacted with unjust authorities? so that we could be saved. Listen, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that today. I want to remind you that all of us are rebels and that what we needed was Jesus to come and live a perfect life that we couldn't live. He died the death that I totally deserved and he came back to life three days later and he tells us, Listen, if you will place your trust in me, you will repent of your rebellion 
you will trust me as doing all the work for you and ask me to save you, then I will save you. I'll make you clean. I'll make you a son or a daughter. And, and he'll give you a brand new heart. If you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that today. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we'd be a people that would be submissive to you. God, I pray you would show us how to interact with authority that's both just and unjust. I pray we'd be a people that have a deep, God, I want us to have a deep confidence that you are big and in control no matter what happens around us. God, I want to pray that you would make us a people that would be submissive to you in everything that you say. God, I pray you would do an awesome work in our hearts. And I pray that all in Jesus' name.